Hello and welcome to the latest Medicine 360 podcast on Functional Neurological Disorder, or FND, a common yet misunderstood condition. My name is Vinay Mandagheri and I'm a final year medical student at the University of Bristol and one of a team of people interested in the medical humanities. I'm joined today with two guests, Professor John Stone and Katie Rose Bennett. Professor Stone is a consultant neurologist and honorary professor of neurology at the University of Edinburgh. He has a research interest in functional disorders in neurology since 1999 and has led the diagnostic criteria for functional disorders in the latest medical guidelines. In 2009, he created a website for FND patients called www.neurosymptoms.org, which has been translated by other neurologists into 12 other languages and receives 60,000 visits a month. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, Benay. I'm also joined by Katie Rose Bennett, a singer and songwriter of folk music who is diagnosed with functional neurological disorder in 2017. Katie's music is inspired by both the natural world and her own lived experience of physical and mental health. Hello. Thank you both for joining. So why don't we start by uh, asking John, what exactly is functional neurological disorder? Yeah, so FND is, it's a, some people might think it's a new name, but actually it's an old name too. It was used 100 years ago uh, for condition that's had many names, including um, conversion disorder. Sometimes uh, in people have talked about psychogenic disorders and we'll perhaps come on to how that makes people feel when they hear that or even other, other words. We're talking here about genuinely experienced neurological symptoms like paralysis, seizures, tremor, uh, sometimes blindness even, where the the symptoms are not are arising from a disorder of nervous system functioning rather than something you can see on a scan like MS or epilepsy. But the symptoms certainly look and feel to the patient very similar to having epilepsy or MS. So that's, in a nutshell, it's a disorder of nervous system functioning. That's why it's called a functional neurological disorder. Okay. And how exactly does that differ from a condition where there is sort of a, a problem with the structure? What exactly does a disorder in the functioning actually mean? Yeah, I, I, and you're right, it is a slightly vague term in some ways. But what we, we, we recognise these disorders by in very positive ways in terms of this is we're not talking here about a diagnosis of exclusion we're not talk, we we make this diagnosis based on typical features of fnd so for uh, symptoms like paralysis and tremor the patient has a disorder of voluntary movement so they have trouble ma- uh, moving their leg or they have excessive uh, involuntary movement their arms or legs which they can't, which they can't control. But when you examine the patient, uh, you can find that yes, there is a disorder of voluntary movement. So they, for example, try and move their leg, or one of the tests we do is called Hoover's sign, where they're pushing really hard down on the ground with their foot and they can't do it. But then when you get, ask them to lift up their opposite leg, you might just, you would then find in FND that the movement just transiently returns to normal. So automatic movement is normal. Um, with tremor, for example, you might find that someone has a, has, a, has, a, has a tremor that they find very difficult to control, but when you get them to copy a movement with their other hand, 
again, just transiently, it might improve or change. That's something that doesn't happen, of course, if you have a stroke uh, or MS, you wouldn't be able to alter uh, someone's experience of movement or, or show transient improvements by using these kind of techniques, which in a way are a form of distraction, but they're also a form of, of changing someone's attentional focus. Um, so it's a sort of higher disorder of voluntary movement, really. Um, but it has been, it's been described in many different ways o- over time, which I'm sure we'll come to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was wondering if we could, when most people think of FND, they possibly think of the conversion model where, pe- where people believe that it is sort of psychological symptoms that have been converted into physical symptoms. Is that necessarily true? So, yeah, this is a disorder with a very long and often very stigmatized history Um, for probably 2,000 years. uh, It's been known, uh, so the word hysteria uh, was used to describe a whole range of symptoms, really, not just the ones we're talking about today, but symptoms that are apparently experienced but not related to a pathological disease. and of course, the word hysteria refers to the womb and was thought to just be a disorder of women. Uh, that's clearly not the case. In fact, even from the 19th, from well, earlier than the 19th century, it was realized that it wasn't the case. And people actually, the 19th century did have a model of this disorder, which actually did start to join together the mind and the brain um, with some of the similar ideas that we'll be talking about today. But then we had from about 1890, uh, Sigmund Freud and his, uh, really the beginning of his ideas about psychoanalysis and the unconscious started with this disorder. So he wrote a book called Studies in Hysteria, Joseph Breuer. And he came up with this idea that uh, patient symptoms were somehow a conversion of psychological distress into physical symptoms. And that idea has been really dominant for the last 100 years or so, and only really in the last 10 or 15 has it been challenged. And we've kind of gone back to a model that involves mind and brain, um, and hopefully is one that's that's less dualistic. So it's not that psychological factors or stress are not relevant in some people. In some patients with this condition, they're really relevant, and sometimes the most important thing and in, but in other patients with FND, you cannot find psychological stress that they have converted. There is, it's just not there. So it's a bit like uh, smoking and stroke. Some people who have a stroke have been a smoker, but some people who've had a stroke have never been a smoker, and you shouldn't insist that they must have been or that they've somehow forgotten that they were a smoker, <laughs> which would be the analogy of uh, Freudian repression in this condition. Okay, so it's quite a multifactorial disease and, and obviously has quite a um, contentious history with it having so many sort of reconceptualizations within the past 100 years as to what exactly this condition might be. I think it's, it's one that sits very much at the interface between neurology and psychiatry. It challenges all kinds of dualistic ideas, which is why people get into such hot hot water with it and tie themselves up in knots because we're using language and structure that I think probably isn't appropriate for it. So I think it's 
it'd be nice to hear a little bit from Katie. What exactly what exactly is your story with FND? Hi, thank you. And that was it was firstly it was just it's really great to hear John speaking about FND and I don't think anyone's actually ever described it in such language for me before and which I think is telling as someone with a diagnosis of FND. I was thinking about how to try and uh, explain my story a bit and I wrote quite a lot of things down because I realised there's so many little bits of aspects which add to it so I'm going to try Mm -hmm. and compress it. Please feel free (laughs) to cut any bits from what what I say. I suppose for me my story seemingly begins in in 2017 although arguably there were kind of probably premonitions in the previous 20 years that things that there were elements of fnd uh in my history um but i, I in february 2017 i was at work and i collapsed at work uh, i couldn't couldn't get up and my colleagues called a ambulance and i was went to hospital where i had the checks for stroke and heart attack and things and was then discharged um, and told to go to my GP. The following day, I went to my GP to talk about the situation, to get a referral possibly to cardiology. As I was leaving the GP surgery, I collapsed on the floor and had a temporary paralysis of my legs, just couldn't mm. move my legs. And at that moment, at that I was at my my GP's and my GP was with me. And one of the things, and I think it's really important to say, is that she kind of sat with me. She They called an ambulance and she sat with me and said, because oh, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I was fine and then I wasn't fine and then I was fine and now I'm not fine again. I'm not making it up was very much what I was saying. And she said, I believe you. I can see that you're mm-hmm. not making this up. <laughs> and I think that was really important um, just as, as one of the, doctors within the story if you like I was then went to a CDU clinical decisions unit at um, the local hospital where I had another raft of tests all of which came back clear again and was seen by a neurologist who uh, saw me quite briefly did a number of tests and queried that there's a possibility that Mm -hmm. it might be FND and then discharged me I was on the day um, which I found quite odd just because I couldn't really walk still. So I was discharged, not really able to walk, which I found quite difficult to manage, just trying to get out yeah. of the hospital um, kind of thing. But it, but it had been deemed that it wasn't an emergency and it wasn't, you know, all the things that are deemed an emergency and require admission. Then a f- it, my symptoms got worse over a few days and I saw the walk-in GP a few days later on a Sunday went to talk to them about what had been going on as I because I hadn't been able to climb my stairs or walk around my house without holding on to things and my gait had become quite strange I kind of my legs were kind of bending in mm-hmm. involuntarily as I was walking um, which I know in retrospect now is a quite common and I, I saw the walking GP and they asked me have you got pain in your chest and I said well yes I have I'm quite anxious. It's probably to do with that. And he said, well, because you've told me you've got pains in your chest, I have to call an ambulance. And so he called an ambulance. This is the third ambulance in a week. And he then said, but I've got to see other patients. So you're going to wait in this room on your own while the ambulance comes, which it was, it was all quite, quite, I kind of tell you these things because it's quite a 
the series yeah. of events, yeah. if you know what I mean. And I was then ad- admitted um, onto a neurology ward. Oh, sorry. On, I was then taken to hospital and admitted overnight for further investigations um, by the neurology team. And uh, on a, I was actually, there wasn't any room on the neurology ward. So I was placed on a trauma ward where I was for seven days and had a raft of MRI scans and blood tests and enzyme and hormone tests and all the all the tests that mm-hmm. you could imagine. And as, as I'm sure is not going to be surprised to, um, to John here, that all of the tests came back clear. And yes, that's so that's kind of where my story got to. That was that was really useful in getting the sort of the journey of getting an FND diagnosis. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say I was under I was under a neurology team. And during that week, I became very uh, I, I have a history of mental health difficulties. So for me, I think you know, the mental health was definitely a factor within w- within my FND. Um, I know for lots of people it isn't, but for me it definitely is. And the neurologist I s- was under came to me when once all the tests that they'd done came back without any indication of any. John's gonna. I'm gonna ask John for a, what's the word? Any indication? Well, any of kind a, of structural? Yeah, any structural course. Of course, the scans can't don't really tell us about the. The function of your nervous system so yeah but no structural cause yeah no like thank you that's what i meant and and she she suggested she suggested that there might be a psychological cause which i took quite um i i was what do you mean that i don't really see how that can be possible um and i found that quite difficult to accept as a as an explanation and i was then the next day saw the consultant within the team who essentially sat me down and said you know we could do 400 more tests and they'd all come back clear and it'd be a waste of your time it would be a waste of our time it would be a waste of resources Mm -hmm. essentially and you'd get no more answers essentially how would how how did your reaction differ between someone telling you it's a psychological cause versus someone telling you you might have this condition called fnd I think that one of the things I've read since is is a common response to being told that there's nothing they can find that is definitely mm. wrong from a structural point of view. And there's I think maybe there's a perception from medical profession that that would be a really positive thing that we we found no yeah. structural damage. But actually, if you're if you're in a situation for me. I'd been, I think I'd Googled every potential symptom in the four days I was mm-hmm. in hospital. And, and I was just trying, I just wanting to get a sense of what was going on. Uh, you, but, but actually being told that we cannot find the cause, you, you, I, it, there was part of me that wanted there to be a yeah. cause found that was definite and could be seen on a scan. And so I could say, look, you know, look, here's proof that what's going on is real. Because there was, I think we'll come on to this later, but there's, very much um, a, a perception that a, fe- a feeling that you're not going to be believed yeah. because people can't see yeah. what's going on. Did you ever feel as though doctors were sort of dismissing you because you, they couldn't see anything on the scans or anything like that? I mean, yes, I did. I for by I, and I don't know if it was necessarily. I, I felt it was more a systemic problem rather than individual doctors not believing because I think the neurology team essentially said we're going to give you this diagnosis of functional neurological disorder 
and but we can't do anything more to you for more sorry we can't do anything yeah. more for you um because for for, the, for them for their for their team i said there wasn't really a pathway from me being there mm-hmm. with these symptoms into into their service and one one of the things i wanted to bring up was i was uh i was given um i was, I was it was suggested i get they were they referred me for some neuropsychological support and they said it would be an outpatient support provided and i said that's great um i'm not going to go anywhere until i actually know that that's going to happen because there's no other yeah. support coming and they said okay and then a few days later the neurologist came back and said actually we've just discovered that support service doesn't exist anymore it used to be a referral pathway but it no longer is there so there's this kind of disconnect between neurology and psychiatry um i'm sure john can talk further about that um and i did manage to get support through psychiatric Mm -hmm. support um but even within the psychiatric support, there wasn't really acknowledgement of right. FND. It was perceived as being generalised anxiety disorder. And so there wasn't really a kind of integrated understanding of FND. Right. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I think it ties in as to what John was saying, that FND really lies at the border between um, the two services of neurology and psychiatry. And I think that that definitely is a, a fault yeah. that... The, the, the service, the specialised service for FND wasn't available. I think there was also another thing we could get from that in that John said at the very beginning that FND is not a diagnosis of exclusion, which means that you do all the tests and then if, if, if nothing mm-hmm. comes back, then it's, then it's FND. But this process mm-hmm. or the, 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 the process that you've gone through sounds as though it, it was. I, I don't know if John, anything about it? Yes, yes sorry, I, Katie. yeah. Okay. I, I think I I think I, it it felt like a diagnosis of exclusion, and I I think I was essentially given this diagnosis because they didn't really know what else to put on my yeah. discharge letter. Um, that was which felt feels not very. It feels a little bit kind of yeah. Fobbed feels, off in it a does way. feel it does seem as though it'd be quite dismissive. Um, I say, John, have you got anything to add? Yeah, to I mean, it's such a sadly familiar story, Katie. I mean, I'm I'm sorry they had to go through that. I think, as you say, I'm not sure this is down to individuals being mean or it's there's a whole systemic issue mm. with training. And that's why it's fantastic, you know, that you're doing this with um, you know, at your stage and for your audience. Because people, it's just not as many, for most medical schools, this just isn't taught and, and it's, it doesn't appear in textbooks, it doesn't appear in training, even though the functional disorder is second commonest reason to see a neurologist. There's something badly wrong with the way that we are we have decided what to say is important and what isn't. So the whole business of, mm. you know, you, at, at no point in that story did we hear about, oh, the, you know, the neurologist showed you your positive signs of FND and said, look, you've got a pattern of leg weakness that's typical of FND. I mean, that that's how the diagnosis should be made. It's not like it's bad medicine mm. uh, to make this diagnosis just because tests are normal. There's plenty of neurological conditions with normal tests. Those, those neurologists probably mm. probably did find those signs, but perhaps didn't know how to share them with you because they often, yeah. people aren't sure how to say to someone, look, when I do this, I can see that you're not moving. In fact, I can see the more you try, the more you can't move. But when you do this, look, it does improve. Yeah. It's not difficult to share. You just, mm. I mean, in fact, there's 
my experience of doing that is that actually you're giving people a bit of hope that you can say, look, I can I can do this. And it, if, if we do this to your brain, it makes it just transiently better. That's good, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we could do that more? So I was sorry that you had that experience. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with you. I think I th- I think I I was also I think there's the situation I was it was quite a kind of traumatizing experience for me and I know that I wasn't in the in the best place emotionally or mentally when I was seeing the the neurologist and there was probably a sense that we don't really know how to how to manage this person's needs at this point we because and actually to communicate that would have been I, I kind of I kind of empathise with the with the neurologist who I was seeing. I, I was I was probably a difficult patient. Well, it's honest. interesting. Because I think quite a lot of that makes sense. Yeah, I think sometimes actually neurologists and doctors do explain some of these things, but there's so much else going on. People are just trying to process the fact that their legs can't move or whatever. That it needs to be kind mm. of really clear. I think, and sometimes if people introduce things like stress too early on in the conversation it kind of distracts people from that just but, but basic communication of of how we know that this is fnd before you know you sort of jump you're kind of jumping ahead of sure. yourself to why why you have fnd um before you've got to well what is it and how do we know that it is that um so it's kind of interesting a very interesting point you make there yeah yeah, and unfortunately, I'm not really surprised that you've had doctors um, with this particular attitude. I, I come across, I've come across numerous doctors who use the word functional as a way of saying, oh, it's all in their head, slash, it doesn't exist, or even worse, they're making it up. And I think it's sort of, it, I yeah. think this is a systemic problem in medicine that if the doctor can't find out what's wrong, if there's no if there's no lab test or imaging that we cannot see, it's the patient's fault. It's almost a sense of blame to the patient. Um, I don't know whether that is common for um, for FND patients to feel as though they're being blamed for their own symptoms, um, or at least uh, the idea that uh, people are thinking that I'm making this up. And I think you did mention that earlier on in in your story i i mean for me i i i definitely felt that a, a one i was wasting of i'd had three ambulances that felt like a complete waste of nhs resources um and i and and i felt that whether whether it was actually a, a fair fair interpretation of other people around me who were probably just rushed off their feet um but i did i felt like i was wasting their time i was on a trauma ward with people with lots of very definite injury um which was obvious whereas i was there lying in a bed not able to move my legs but no mm-hmm. one could tell me no one could really figure out why so if there is a sense of feeling not believed or um that all that this idea that and, you know, and because of the way because it's such an such a systemic stigma around FND and the the kind of uh, disorder, this kind of disorder. I think it's kind of inherent. Like I I I I was like, well, am I making this up? You know, they there's no okay. there's no medical test that says this is so real. You even started so to I, doubt you know, yourself. There's this element. Absolutely, which is a, which is yeah. It is a common response. Common. Yeah, and I think, and sometimes some patients actually notice a bit of variability as well in their symptoms. So they sort of catch a glimpse of something that works a bit better or a tremor that calms down and then 
that that's quite a common issue you're, you're sort of absolutely when when doctors start to insinuate that or you wonder if they're thinking that um you get locked in this sort of spiral mm-hmm. where the patient's wondering that as well but in fact in fact they aren't making it up and uh, it's just because it's a disorder of voluntary movement mm-hmm. i think it it creates that feeling very easily i think and i i just uh, you know reiterate that from the last four years of having having had um symptoms I, I you know i have weeks where i don't have any symptoms at all and then i'll have days when it's i have very not really able to move my legs at all and then another the next day i can walk fine and so the the kind of the transience the changeability the fluctuation in the symptoms makes me feel i have to justify to other people that you know yes i you know yesterday i was fine today i'm not fine but that's just the nature of the beast if you like mm. You mentioned that there's um, a lot of stigma towards functional disorders. John, I was just wondering if you could touch as to why do you think there's so much stigma towards FND? Is it mainly because of the history of the disorder? Well, I think some of it, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, the history, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is to do with stigma of anything regarded as psychiatric. So, mm which, which of course, you know, and anything that you can't see under a microscope, people are uncertainly, it's harder to diagnose. Although, you know, we do have other, we have disorders like migraine, which you can't see on a scan. Everyone's quite happy with that. I think it's been a disorder, particularly as described in uh, originally a disorder, mainly of women. And, and I think that's problematic in terms of, you know, particularly lots of male doctors uh, speak, speaking as one. Um, yeah. I think it's, there's been this sort of bias in our training and thinking, which actually hasn't always been there. It's really, it's really just particularly the last hundred years where, where where we've got more and more obsessed with pathology and molecules. Um, and I think I, I do wonder when, when, when you read some material from the late 19th century, I think doctors were much, were actually a bit more rounded then in their, in their approach. Uh, we tend to think of you know, progress being linear. I don't, I don't think it has in this disorder. And we're still, as a society, we really struggle with the idea, you know, with, with with this concept. You see this coming out with, you know, when new and other sort of contested conditions like long COVID come along. There's really only two narratives that people are talking mm. about, which is, oh, we've got, uh, you know, there's some sort of something horrible's happened to my immune system, or something structural, or other people saying, well, I wonder if it's all psychiatric. And the idea that there's another option here which is you can have a functional disorder just like your computer can have a software problem, um, just doesn't sort of, and, and that you can have physical symptoms without having mental health problems, although, as we've heard, you know, they often, they, 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 they can go together. So it's, multi, it's multifarious and um, it's, a, it's a very interesting field and it's really interesting to see how that stigma is playing out in, social media and, and it's, a, it's a it's a time of change we've never had patients like katie talking uh, hearing the patient's voice in fnd in an explicit way like this we're knowing that there's this history this is something entirely new in the history of medicine so i think it's quite exciting i want to see where it goes and see if we can change it yeah, yeah. and you were saying that there's um the, the three sort of options of something wrong with the body, something wrong with the mind, something functional. Um, do you think the attitude of this sort of dualism between mind and body 
is still alive and kicking? And do you think understanding functional disorders could be the sort of key to breaking that down? Well, I would lo- I would love to think so. I mean, that is very ambitious because we've had we've had dualism uh, since Rennie Descartes. So sometimes mm. joke about you know it's really hard to undo three hundred years of dualism in five minutes at the end of a consultation, <laughs> but that's often what we're trying to do. And because patients are, this is you know we have even my job title of neurologist is a dualist title. I mean, what that's an ologist of the brain, and there's an ologist of the mind. Uh, that does tend to suggest, particularly to medical students, that the two things are different. There was a nice study that yeah. someone did showing that as stu- medical students progress through training, they get more the, their ideas get more dualistic. They, you know, people start off. In fact, non-medical people are, are less dualistic than than healthcare professionals. So, I think I'm not. I think we are. A lot of our language is incredibly dualistic, and to get. I think to understand this disorder, you have to understand how the language is wrong and how it constantly tricks us. But I do think functional disorders offer a way to challenge that, uh, which I I think when when I've when I've talked to people about it, they also find that interesting and exciting as well. So I think that you know let's give the public some credit. I think they potentially could grasp onto this and. Um, there's a whole, you know, functional disorders are really common. You know, most people have them in their life to some extent. So there's a, there is yeah. a big challenge there. Can you tell us a little bit, you, you said something really interesting about the way in the language of mind, of um, functional disorders. And it, are there any specific phrases that you particularly dislike and you kind of want to change? Yeah, well, if I, you know, I one of the questions which people patients ask quite reasonably in their families is well is it in my mind or my brain and i i think there's a real problem with those words i mean brain maybe yeah. not it is it what it but and and how do you talk about this without stigmatizing psychiatric problems as well because you don't want to be in a situation where you're saying oh you've got this entirely a brain disorder and it's nothing to do with mental health as we've heard from katie many patients recognize very linked with their mental health and you don't want to be uh, stigmatizing or ignoring that so I mean I do try and change the com if someone says to me is it in my mind or my brain I would kind of say well I'm not sure that question really makes sense to me because I don't know what the mind where the mind is versus the brain but if you said but if I could give you a different question like a politician you know is it a problem with damage structure or is it something to do with function or something potentially reversible that that question maps on much better to i think to our understanding of the brain and how and how what neuroscience is telling us so i kind of go for that softer dualism it is still a dualism but a perhaps more helpful one and if i could just chip in there one of the things that's really really helped me kind of accepting of a diagnosis of FND, what I through through the uh, the eventual psychiatric support I received, I was referred for psych, a specialist psychotherapy, um, and actually it was the the process of being in psychotherapy that enabled me to kind of integrate if you integrate mind and mind and brain in a way, and actually go well, it makes sense that if 
it makes sense that if if um, my mental health or is is stretched or if I am stressed that that will have an impact on my brain and my brain's functioning and I think and but at the same time there are other causes of of my brain misfunctioning as well you know it's not just mental health difficulties but I think for me actually um kind of seeing them as two you know as as two integrated things does does help help me understand what was going on anyway. that's fantastic so it seems as, as as though katie you've sort of overcome that dilemma that so many patients have of is it my mind or is it brain or, or, or is it brain well for me it's it's both and it's other if you know what i mean <laughs> i'd say and that concludes part one of our medicine 360 podcast on functional neurological disorder with professor john stone and katie rose bennett Join us next time where we will be talking about songwriting and creative expression.